0: Hey there, and welcome to What Happens Next with Ben and Philip. So, mate, I wanted to ask you tonight about something that has been in your mind that you gave me a heads up about as a podcast topic. Let's talk about the era of outrage.
1: Oh, don't get me started. I'm outraged. No, no, I want to get you started. Oh, oh, you want? Me? You really? Okay. Is that the whole point of the show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. This show is all about outrage. First of all, let's plant the problem, yeah. and we can solve it with our What Happens Next solution. So. Yes. Put a stake in the ground and define to me what is this era of outrage we're in, mm-hmm. and then we'll perhaps get to how we can solve it. Just two guys over two craft beers.
1: What I'm talking about is not the perennial fight of injustice against you know homophobia or sexism or these types of issues which are long standing, being much more gradually broken down than they should be. They shouldn't be problems anymore. I'm talking more about the more of the social media prevalent people of outrage who take offence at any small thing um, just for taking offense's sake and will post something saying, oh, I went to Woolworths today and they didn't offer me a shopping bag with my groceries and I'm outraged and then that will be like posted on Facebook and then it will go viral and then on a commercial television network two days later, it will be like a panel discussion with, between three nufties about, oh, is this right? Do we have the right to be outraged by this? And yes, we do. And this has got to change and then no one will care and then two days later there will be something else that everyone will get outraged about. It's just that sort of endless cycle of of whinges which spawns a week's worth of bullshit, lazy media pretending to be reporting on how the general population actually feels, which they don't.
0: All right. I agree with you, but let's unpack that because you've just put down. (laughs) There's a lot in there. (laughs) There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Let's take it one by one. I agree with you. We're in an age now, an era, which has probably been around pretty much since the evolution of social media, where people are outraged or they feel the need to express being outraged, even if they don't actually believe it. So it's either outrage, sincere outrage. Yeah. Or it's faux outrage. It's
1: faux outrage and it's just keyboard warrior blowing off some steam or something.
0: Totally. Another interesting point you raised just then is about journalists or let's call them loosely current affairs-based programs, which have been around forever and ever for decades and decades. But in Australia, programs like Today Tonight or, or Current Affair, I'm not even sure they're still around. I actually don't watch news at 6.30. But those types of programs... used to actually be that kind of voice of outrage. They were those programs that professed to find something outrageous in something that most people wouldn't really have paid attention to, but they would kind of beat it up. They'd call it a beat-up story. Yeah. Which brings me to the third point, which is, I actually think that many journalists these days, and there are many, the majority of journalists are fantastic professionals who care passionately about their work. And I won't even tolerate all of this sort of these slurs like fake news and so on, because that's just the type of slur made by people who are fearful of investigative truth. Mm. But I will say is that with all these cutbacks being made to organisations and so on, mm. journalists now often turn to social media to try and get either genuine stories or perhaps let's just call them BuzzFeed-like stories, yep. which they know and they generate clicks online. Yep. So they're stories that from the get-go, out of the gate, are designed to generate views online, not necessarily stories that should necessarily be told. Yeah, And I think... When you've got that dangerous explosive mix of journalists turning to something that's potentially clickbait mm. combined with old-school television broadcast programs that have always beaten up a story to try oh, and garner
1: viewers. You can, I could write the script for the, the morning tabloid TV show about something and it'd be like, you know, tell us what you think here at sunrise, you know, hashtag at sunrise or something and it'll be like, what do you think out uh, there? We're getting a lot of response this morning. People are people really think that this is a hot issue and this is outrageous. And well, we should have given this woman a shopping bag, and someone should have given this person a seat on the bus. And you know, this is you know, we're not talking about the Montgomery bus boycott in the 1950s. We're talking about some person who who didn't get called doctor when they had doctor on their ticket. And you know, I didn't work eight years to get my PhD to not be called doctor, and I put doctor. You know, okay, but this whole sort of. I post it on social media, and then it gets picked up, and it becomes this massive deal, beat up out of all proportion. So, what if the hostess or the stewardess, stewardess, flight attendant, flight attendant? <laughs> Thank you. Choosing your 1970s Somewhat, sexist vernacular. I'm looking forward to people getting outraged about my description of hosties. So the flight attendant, you know, I like just- you doubled
0: down with stewardess and
1: hosties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the so the hosty has gone. Oh. Thank you, Ms. Smith. Welcome aboard. And she's like, you know, presumably she didn't say to her, oh, actually it's Dr. Smith. It says it there on my ticket. Rather than say I'm saying, Oh, I'm very sorry, you know, but didn't see it. it said doctor. But the stu- what are they called? Flight attendant. Flight attendant. The flight attendant, I reckon 60% of these outraged people. It's all to do with air travel or train travel or bus travel. or You know, people clipping their nails on the train and someone takes a photo of them and says, this is outrageous. And then everyone goes, oh, that's disgusting. And then it gets – a lot of it seems to be about plane travel. I think that's because plane travel is it's, a
0: great equaliser. That yeah. if you, With coaches, for example, like buses and trains, not everyone catches a bus or a train. Many people drive to work. I've worked with people in the past who, a decade, have never caught public transport ever before. Mm. They're not necessarily snobbish about it, but yeah. they enjoy having a bit of time out by themselves, away from their kids and their partner, to play some music or Kyle and Jackie radio station and chill out for 45 minutes each way. Yeah, And rather than seeing the traffic as being an incumbents, they actually like enjoy the I guess it's almost their meditation or their time out. Mm. Those types of people, I guess we could call them of all different categories, like working class, middle class, upper class, but many pe- people, for whatever reason, would never catch a train or a bus. Mm. But everyone, not everyone, but many people have to catch a plane, and even though there's actually obviously different classes on the plane, everyone still walks in through the same door, yep. past the same flight attendant slash stewardess slash hostie, etc. Yeah, It's funny you raise the example of the doctor. Because I know people with PhDs who aren't medical practitioners, but even if they were, even if they were, this whole idea that if you are a doctor and you happen to have studied this one particular profession, yeah. so you, you didn't choose to become a, a lawyer or a nurse or a teacher, you happen to become a doctor. And that's not always exclusively based on intelligence, Most doctors are intelligent, but there are other people in society that do other valuable jobs who are also intelligent, who don't get a title beyond Mr, Ms, Miss, etc. Yeah. The fact that they want to be recognised for their vocation when catching an A to B plane, do not understand.
1: No. Well, I mean, I've got a mate who's got a PSD as well, and he travels a lot for work. Shout out to you, mate. I know you're a big fan of the show. Someone has a heart attack on the plane. They come looking for him. And he's like, no. <laughs> Hang on. Does your mate actually use the moniker doctor? I think so. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I. Sorry, sorry, mate, if I- I've got walk- that wrong. I'll walk back slowly at this point. <laughs> yeah. Because I know that one of my close family members I is hedged. I
1: wouldn't do it traveling on a plane. But maybe you think, oh, I've earned it, which, you know, good on you. You've paid the hex. You've done the time at uni. You've. Got probably better marks than me, and you've, you know, you've earned the PhD. But then again, it's not really it's not really the context for it. that's it. Yeah. This is the part.
0: I concede that they have earned it. They've worked very, very hard. They have spent money and time to earn this qualification. But so have the other ninety-five percent of society. So has a genetic scientist, perhaps, who did an MA, a master's, or A skilled craftsperson who's learned how to make a violin, which might make them
1: one of five violin makers in Australia. It's a silly little thing that we give to these one small proportion of the population. Getting back to the outrage, I think that- I didn't realise we we'd actually left it behind. (laughs) No. I (laughs) think we were full steam ahead. There's still outrage there. I think that ultimately it could and will turn people off Facebook, Twitter- And a lot of people are getting sort of turned off these mediums because it is just a haven for people who either want to be wound up or want to wind up other people. And I know a lot of people get on there and and they happily wind up people and try and get a reaction out of them and that's par for the course. But it's because that sort of leads into other forms of media which then impacts on everyday life where, like you were saying, there's no more opinion pieces in the paper anymore because... Take recent events involving Serena Williams at the tennis, and and rather than someone coming out and writing an article saying, "I think" or "You might think, dear reader, that what she did was wrong" or X Y Z, or you might think what she did was right X Y Z, or giving giving an opinion either way, it becomes oh, and social media erupted with tweets flying back and forth about about it, and it's like okay, and that's relevant. Why? How many Twitter followers does each of those people who you've just quoted in your article have? Um, How many times were those posts retweeted? You yeah. know, I'm person in the world. I'm buying the newspaper because I'm interested in what you have to say, journalist. You know what I mean? This is like I'm stunned. There was a time, let's say 15 years ago before the prevalence of social media,
0: a journalist wouldn't have walked through a suburban Sydney for a tennis match after a football game picked one person on yep. the street.
1: That's exactly what it's like.
0: And imagine this person didn't even have a face. Imagine this person was dressed in a paper bag and you couldn't even tell their gender. Hide you on a tree. Yep. And they just yell out some comment
1: like, tennis sucks. Yeah. Hashtag tennis sucks. Oh, Serena's a cheat. Hashtag cheating Serena.
0: Imagine if that occurred, of course the journalist would ignore that comment and think, I can't verify this person's identity. I can't verify their authority, this opinion. And it would just have been not even contemplated. It would have been instantly dismissed without even hesitation. And now, as you say, you'll read online news and they'll have these quotes from people like Crazy Joe 65. Yeah. Who doesn't even have an avatar photograph of himself. Yeah. Has a picture of a, of a dog and the idea that somehow those opinions of those people give currency to the opinion of the journalist or provide a statistical reflection of the general sentiment yeah. by those sports fans yeah. or the
1: community. It's used as a, oh, we are informing you as to how the world reacted and therefore how you, dear reader, probably should react as well. And if you've read this article to the bottom to get to what the tweets say, you probably do have an opinion or you want to have one by the end of this article and that will be impacted upon by what the tweets say. It's also all the tweets are, are outraged one way or the other. It's all like... In this case, she's not a cheat or she's a cheat or it's a feminine issue or it's not a sexism feminist issue. You've totally nailed it. I didn't even
0: think of this. But, of course, not only are those tweets intended to add authority to the argument of the opinion maker or the journalist, but they're designed to generate social media interaction in the comment section below mm-hmm. to make perhaps the article shareable, viral. So you're now in a situation where basically the journalist is incorporating extreme opinions in their article by unverified sources with the explicit marketing intention to try and create buzz by people sharing it with some sort of opinion either way, mm. which means you don't even have an expert opinion. Like back in the day, let's think of sports, for example. There's a ball guy in rugby league who wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald newspaper, uh, around for ages and ages, name escapes me. Anyway. Roy Masters. Roy Masters, right? And so, someone like Roy would write an opinion Hmm. about an incident. Let's just say that there was a point of conflict, a fight, a reaction by a coach during a semi-final Hmm. or something like that. Now, he's someone with decades of experience who's seen both sides of the game and- Former rugby league coach himself. Exactly. So what he's doing is giving an expert opinion. Mm. This is the problem I have with the outrage of social media, that social media by name, if you define it by its name, is meant to be social, not anti-social. Yeah. Anti-social media. It's a social media. But unfortunately, it's become anti-social media because people have opinions. It's opinion media. But they're not experts with that opinion. So suddenly- yeah. People from Joe blogs down the road to that crazy guy behind InfoWars in America oh. have these extreme opinions. They have an audience between one and 10 million people listening to them that actually have perhaps the ethical training, the academic training, the practical experience. Mm. Because they have an opinion and that opinion is popular, even if it's racist, sexist, misogynist, or whatever, that suddenly has an authority. And that's crap. I mean, that's the whole misnomer. If you read titled this year, social media is anti-social media, pretty much capture the toxic troll-like nature of Reddit, of what Twitter can be at times with anonymous people harassing an Asian-American actress from the latest Star Wars film because they're racist or a lot of white disempowered men suddenly feeling like women are gaining control, which upsets them because it's not the status quo. Yeah. It's not people sharing ideas. For a positive
1: outcome. Yeah. Totally.
0: It's basically taking, in many situations, unfortunately, the dog whistle of some sort of prejudice, let's say racism, for example, and actually making it more than dog whistle, making it a whistle mm. that everyone can hear and they'll blow to the high heavens. But because their names aren't connected to the Twitter account or the yeah. Facebook account- nor are their photograph, they just feel, I guess, totally comfortable because there's no punitive action taken, because there's no association with their opinion. It's, I think it's sad and I think it's giving a voice to these prejudiced parties who get together. It's like the situation with, you know, other awful, horrendous crimes like pedophiles that would be isolated in their own right but Mm -hmm. find their own illegal community online. Yeah. And thus it kind of validates – their illegal and immoral behaviour because yeah. they're surrounded by this. Other,
1: other like-minded people, yeah.
0: So, if this is the era of social media or anti-social media and outrage, why do you think people then also do faux social media? Do you think it's a case of just performance to be seen to be ethical and they're overcompensating? So, they'll see something and they'll read into a comment that it's racist or sexist. And they won't see that it's actually a joke with context yeah. by someone who is actually quite sophisticated with their argument and the humour somehow is lost in translation or the, or the reader doesn't have a sense of humour themselves. But they feel they need to be seen like politicians. Yeah. They need to be seen to be, perhaps be
1: outraged. Yeah. Do you think that's the evolution of faux outrage? I think so. And it's going to lead to this point where people just post things all the time about perceived slights that someone has said something and, or, and crossed them in some way all day long and it's just going to feed this whole industry of angst. And I just think there's going to be a point where the only people who are bothered to stay on this stuff is the way people who like I was saying before who want to be outraged or they're either the people who want to be outraged and go, oh my God, that's out- you know outrageous. And I'm just going to bang out a quick tweet about that and share it with all my followers or share it with my mummy blogger friends or you know this person doesn't immunize their kid or whatever oh it's outrageous Ah." this person is advocating people eat sugar or chocolate that's outrageous oh that's not good for kids and "Ah." it's going to be this weird little community unfortunately a growing community at the moment but i think it's gonna what i'm saying is i think it's gonna it's gonna max out Pretty quickly because everyone's going to go, what is the point of this shit, you know? I think one of the points of social media isn't the intention of social media,
0: and this really worries me, is that people vent on social media. Mm. So, they have an opinion- And they vent or they have a frustration and they vent. Let's just say, for example, you know, we've discussed before my frustrations with dog poo owners putting their dog poo in my rubbish bin or people who are inconsiderate drivers who don't allow you to change lanes and just aggressively accelerate when you're trying to change lanes.
1: Right? Thank you, insert airline name here, you know, cancel my flight. Now I'm stuck at the airport. I'm going, yeah. to, I'm going to miss my the 21st I was going to attend at the Surface Paradise. Hashtag not happy.
0: Hashtag missed wedding. Exactly. And so in that situation, people use social media to vent. Sometimes it's attention seeking. They're seeking empathy from friends. You know, oh, mate, sorry to hear that. Just someone to basically metaphorically pat them on the back. Sometimes it's to just vent, and then once they're vented, they actually don't care about the response by their viewers or subscribers, but they've got off their chest. The problem I've got with social media, and this is as someone who uses it, I use it, you don't, is that if people vent, and this can be also in a good situation, like people in my echo chamber of my social media posts, I'll see the same sort of perspectives, which is generally left-wing, which I am. People vent, and then they don't act That's the biggest danger to me. So, Mm. for example, let's say they're anti-vaxxers. I myself am frustrated with people who don't vaccinate, despite the scientific empirical knowledge. Now, if people complain about anti-vaxxers online, but then don't take action to try and educate people Mm. about the benefits of vaccination or to
1: sign petitions or to march, whatever, they vent online Thinking and they, that rights change. And they'll abuse someone from behind a keyboard, as you say, but it, what's that going to achieve? Totally.
0: And this is the thing that many people under probably 30 when you think about it, social media has been around for about 12 years or 15 years. So, people who are like mid-20s definitely would not have perhaps been exposed to the need to rally in person. So, when I was at uni, when you were at uni with me, that was the way you expressed yourself to the authority you rallied in person and it was an effort. But the fact was if you could get out of bed, make it to the rally, be there for a few hours, it communicated to the recipient that yeah. you were serious about it. Yeah. But it's much easier in a good way that people can get together and protest something through some sort of protest group online or a petition. But I'm not sure if it has the same currency or weight To the people who see it. For example, if those petitions or those, let's say, I think worse than a petition would be a Facebook group, if that actually doesn't result in 2,000 signatures on old fashioned paper form, which is what traditional politicians are used to at least recognize as a form of protest, has no weight. I mean, for example, how are these politicians or other leaders? really get a sense of disharmony from a community. There could be like four thousand members well, on an anti-development site on Facebook.
1: You look at the gay- how do you translate that to a result? At the the gay marriage issue, for example, the politicians perhaps pretended, perhaps deferring to the more conservative elements of their constituency were quite happy to ignore what appeared to be overwhelming public sentiment. But as you say, it's hard to judge that when it's all online or it's all just opinion piece in the paper and said, oh, I don't think there is actually overwhelming support for this. We need to have a vote. You know, it's like, well, do we really? And, of course, the result was what it was. I think on that point what's really
0: interesting, it comes back to vocal minorities Often people who are unhappy or very unhappy with something are the most expressive, the loudest, the noisiest, and they're often a minority. But because they are so noisy, literally or figuratively, then people associate a greater weight to their opinion. You often see this with extreme left or right groups or extreme religious groups. They are so noisy on social media or through traditional forms of broadcast media that people think there is a greater number of people behind that voice Hmm. than there actually are. And then the other 95, 99% of people who are content, often you and I, for example, Hmm. aren't heard of. And what they don't hear of is they don't hear of us objecting to something because perhaps we're just too busy in our own lives to put the time into doing that. Or we actually are very happy with something, but you don't tend to make a bit of noise about something that is the status quo. If you're content with something and it's been around for decades or years, you don't walk around yelling. I'm really happy about this. I want this. Let's just say whatever it could be. be it Pay a as you
1: go, taxation. Woo.
0: Love it. Exactly. Yeah. Compulsory voting is the best. Like yeah. it's an assumed situation mm. so you don't make noise about it mm. to endorse it or protest it. Usually you don't make noise oh, about something. I just love driving on
1: the left-hand side of the road. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad we changed from the right to the left. Man, seatbelts. I can't oh. stop talking about seat belts, oh. How good they are. I feel so safe and secure in my car. Damn you, you anti-seatbelt wearers. Yeah. You know. Airbags. Let's talk about airbags. Yeah. I
0: really feel strongly about how good airbags are. Yeah. I'm looking for someone to argue with me yeah.
1: against the value of airbags. Yeah.
0: I just can't find someone. Yeah.
1: Mummy blogger says, Yeah, you know, airbags bad for kids. What? <laughs> Demon. <laughs> Devil.
0: So, if we were to basically try and solve the entire global issue of social media now. Shut it down. So, what happens next? Turn it off. Well, it's funny you say that because in the States, there has been talk by some political analysis and economists asking that if we in the past or America in the past has taken action in regards to regulatory reform to break up monopolies- Or duopolies, let's say, for example, 70 years ago, Mm. it was determined that studios couldn't also own cinemas because it'd be vertical integration Mm. and they would control everything everything from the cradle to the grave. They control the creation of a product, a film, from its script right through to the last ticket being sold. And it was determined that that would be vertical integration and if there are only four studios, it would create not a monopoly but a bias towards four large large companies. So, they will broken up. Now, the question that some people have raised recently, and I don't actually have a strong opinion on this either way yet because I get to understand the intricacies of it. You have to be outraged. I have to be outraged. Outraged with that information. Is that people asking the question, should Facebook be broken up? And it already partially is broken up because it exists with WhatsApp and Instagram as separate bodies but owned by the same parent company. And so, some people are speculating if, for example, Google or Facebook should be broken up because they have so much control and there's been so many questions being asked about their influence in relation to political information or disinformation or Mm. the way that – Algorithms can control information based on viewer preferences and trends, mm. should they be broken up into smaller bodies to try and diffuse their power? It's an interesting question to ask because traditionally that has happened, but tech companies- have been treated differently to newspapers and yeah. old school media. Yeah. They are social media, but they've been treated differently. Well, that's a good point. You don't often hear times. that. Yeah. So, that's an interesting way to tackle it, that rather than treat them like tech companies, there's been speculation by these economists that if you treat companies like media companies, as they describe themselves, as social mm. media companies, mm. then you start applying the rules and regulations and ethics of old-school print and screen journalism.
1: Yeah, and if there is only one way to obtain your news or your your search results, and that's all garnered through the one mechanism or through however they want to skew it or whatever, it's an interesting point. Philip, what happens next? What happens next is all the tabloid TV shows and tabloid newspapers die a not-so-long, painful death, and people will just stop watching them, which I think they already have and started watching Netflix and sport and people don't really care in a way. What I'm trying to say is the – The media of outrage will be left for those who want to be outraged and there'll be 80% of the rest of us who aren't interested in that and they'll turn off and as a result, new forms of media with new forms of entertainment or news sources will pop up who aren't influenced by this crazy social media, the 48-hour hot topic of the week.
0: Okay, here's my two cents and I'll have a bet both ways. If you ask me any question in life and ask for a solution, I'll give you a non-absolute answer because I believe that the way things evolve with our community is that there's never a light switch moment with anything. What happens is there's an evolution and it's never one extreme or the other. It's always a Frankenstein version in between. So social media isn't going anywhere like the internet. It may evolve and change and be used differently, but it'll still be around and be incredibly powerful. I think what will happen is certain platforms may become toxic, which is the allegations made against Twitter now. Some other online forums like Reddit have been accused of having troll-like behaviour. Rightly or wrongly, that's just out there as a sentiment
1: by many people. And they are supposedly changing their algorithms to track down, you know, computer generated accounts or that kind of thing. And yeah, fake accounts like bots yep,
0: being created yep, yep.
1: to try and spread disinformation. So I think
0: two things will happen. There'll be further government regulation or the threat of further government regulation will motivate those companies as is currently happening now. To try and find solutions before solutions are thrust upon them. And that will then try and dilute the toxic nature of some of these portals. However, just the definition of these portals is that as long as you can comment on stuff anonymously, people will continue to be vile because they can be. The dog whistle becomes a loud human whistle, and therefore, people who would ordinarily have to bury their prejudice deep inside yep. won't feel muzzled anymore to speak their mind. So, yep. It'll still continue. It's just that some people will leave it and they'll flock to perhaps forums where there's more accountability for opinion and just feels like toxic. For example, so many people have said right now that Instagram is more like that than Facebook because you can't share disinformation or information on Instagram as you can on Facebook. There's no feature to share, which means you can like stuff, appreciate stuff, create, share stuff, but you can't retweet or share like you can with Twitter and Facebook. And so, therefore, by definition, people are providing their own stuff, people are liking it, but you don't get the situation where falsehoods are perpetuated. But I also think that broadcast media and subscription media and so on will always remain, as will print media, just in a less popular form, perhaps, or less influential. But I just think that all that happens is all these traditional structures remain just in a more diluted fashion and people will just migrate from one to the other depending on what's meeting their needs. Hmm. I don't think there's going to be an extinction because if you look at anything perhaps besides no um, I, I, VHS tapes yeah not everything gets extinct it just kind of dies or it doesn't get extinct overnight it slowly fades away like blackberry
1: yeah or People will still share photos and reconnect with old school friends and do all that and all that stuff that they used to do, but there might be a different platform as you as you say, like it'll evolve. they'll be sort of streamlined into this little sort of media where they can just sort of type away and get outraged together. But uh, unfortunately, it's sort of I think what started my thinking on this whole topic was that. I don't really think that the general public actually want to hear about this type of stuff. I don't think they really care about someone who's sandwiched from the supermarket only had one pickle instead of three. And do you know what I mean? Like there comes a point where because one media outlet picks up on a Twitter feed or a Facebook post that's, that's being shared by some mummy blogger or some outraged doctor on an airplane, that becomes this... People don't want to read that sort of stuff. They want to. They're happy to read about their celebrities, or they're happy to read about their news or their sport. I don't think they generally want to read about the person down the street who got shortchanged at the drive-through or something. I just think there's got to become a point in time where the media outlets going to realise that, and they're going to stop reporting on this shit. But. I hope it comes sooner rather than later, but maybe it'll take a while for that to actually happen.
0: You know, I agree, disagree with you, because I think they wouldn't do it unless people did respond, comment, share it. So, Mm. I think, unfortunately, much like the way that that Northern Territory newspaper survives by reprinting various crocodile attack stories, I think that people do want to know about some mummy blogger's terrible experience or some racist rant that ended in tragedy or whatever because like people looking at photographs of half-nude celebrities or celebrities hooking up with each other.
1: That's all I want to see. That's, that's all I want. <laughs> bring it on. Bring, so, bring more of that.
0: We all have our own poison. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that it just falls into the category of gossip and much like Kardashian-style yeah. reality TV, yeah. it's just – Small scale
1: Kardashian. It might not be someone yeah. like Kim Kardashian that you know of, but it's someone yeah. like you. It's not here. Is a photo of Kim Kardashian in ridiculously tight tights going to a spin class. It's here's an article posted by a mummy blogger who doesn't shave her armpits, and people are outraged by that. Yeah,
0: that is just pretty much what you nailed. Is the sentiment of the viral nature. People outraged about this, so should I think that's the whole marketing yeah. trick? Is that by it's creating a storm in a teacup, it's social storm in teacup media. By and, saying, a, and it will
1: be replaced by another teacup in 36 hours' time. Yeah, yesterday's mm-hmm. teacup is tomorrow's teacup is something, something, something. Yeah, what's the latest <laughs> metaphor? <laughs> what can you do with an old teacup? I don't know.
0: Yeah. So, I think what happens next, if you're someone, as I have been, who's been – Bitten by the green-eyed jealousy monster or felt frustration with social media or felt inadequate or felt frustrated or felt angry or felt even inspired in a positive way. If you felt too influenced by social media, I would recommend a social media fast, but i double down and even more than social media fast for, let's say, two weeks on a holiday. I would recommend doing a news and current affairs fast. Phone fast. Mm -hmm. I agree. Almost two years ago, I went on holiday and I did no social media, no news. And there were a few celebrity deaths at the time like Carrie Fisher and I think it was George Michael and a few others all happened at the same time. And I found out about them through people talking over beers around Christmas time. But I did a social media and news fast for a whole fortnight. I- Shared stuff on social media but never actually looked at any responses nor looked at anyone else's posts. I just shared stuff for the benefit of my family. Otherwise, I wasn't on it at all. I basically created but didn't consume. And I've got to say, it was so liberating that here I am talking to you now almost two years later and I'm still thinking how fantastic that was to have a whole fortnight where I was present, with my family, my friends, I didn't get distracted by other ideas. Mm. I was bored, sometimes
1: just sitting there. I didn't but, turn to my phone. I just looked at the trees. But you also have that great philosophy of phones down when you come through the door at the end of the day and you don't pick it up again until you leave the next day on the way to work.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if we've discussed this on the podcast That's a good before, one. but mm. we've got a basket at home and when everyone enters the house- my beloved and I, it doesn't always happen, but it's idealistic and often happens. We all put our devices, i.e. our iPhones, into the basket. And basically, they remain in the basket between 6.30 to 8 o'clock. So, we can remain focused on talking to each other and the kids without distraction. Hmm. And then maybe once the kids have gone to bed, we might pick them up and do something. Freebase some daily mail for six hours. Yeah. Some of the Daily Mail for me, it's my website's the Slash Filmcast for film news. But yeah, same idea.
1: Yeah, it's a great idea. I mean, not many people these days would watch TV without a phone to flick through while they're watching TV. It's just quite amazing. And I'm as guilty as the next person for doing oh, that. Same,
0: but I recommend to anyone if you're looking for tools to try and ease yourself off social media or anti-social media or the news for a bit of a break. So what happens next, Benny? Get a Kindle. Okay. Get a Kindle because a Kindle is for reading only. Old exactly. school. Exactly. It's it's new old school. It gets the benefits of, you know, a thousand books in your pocket as someone like Steve Jobs might have once promoted, but it's not connected to the internet so you can't surf. Check social media. So if you're bored, you can pick it up, read it, carry it around with you, and at least you're consuming something worthy that's – I don't know, better for the old grey matter, for the brain, like non-fiction or fiction book or even a magazine with a bit of substance to it, like The New Yorker or something, for example, <laughs> rather than just reading, say, gossipy news about some rugby league player getting caught kissing someone after a few beers. What's wrong with that? It's good, but in moderation. Yeah. All right, mate, I think we should call it a night. You can catch me. I'm Ben Phelps on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. As always, Phil is an enigma wrapped in a riddle, a phantom who doesn't exist online, including social media. Mate, it's been a pleasure. Until next time, let's put a bow in this bad boy,
1: and good night. Good night, mate. Let's put this bad boy in bed.